Thank you for listening to the Parker DC Sermon Podcast. The following message is a ministry of Parker Memorial Baptist Armorville campus. We aim to be biblically faithful, Christ exalting, and God glorifying as we preach and teach the scriptures with boldness and application. We hope you will join us in person this Sunday morning at 11 a.m. for worship celebration. For more information about Parker DC, visit us at www.dclivelove.com. We hope you enjoy. Thank you. Good morning. If you have a Bible, if you open your Bible to the Gospel of Mark chapter 5, and hopefully you've got a worship guide as you came in. Uh, If you're watching online with us today, we encourage you to take out a Bible and take out a notepad. And I'll be uh, rather expedient today as I possibly can be. I know we had a lot of extra stuff going on, and I'm still kind of nostalgic about it. Uh, Again, I mentioned the last couple of... uh, uh, babies there, I got to do their wedding uh, for their parents, and so now they're getting older, and so I just, uh, I'm a little sad, okay, all right, everybody growing up, so anyway, we are going to have, just for all of you, after the service today, there's some cookie cake out back, just to kind of celebrate the dedication of these uh, sweet children uh, to the Lord, so make sure, now, now i got to preach even faster, because now you're thinking about cookie cake, well done, preacher, well done. So uh, there's a lot of things going on in the preacher's mind on Sunday morning. I just kind of let you into my mind, which is a terrifying place to live. On Sunday morning, you know what I'm thinking about from the moment I wake up? The sermon, okay? All right, the sermon, it is exactly what's on my mind. Uh, And people come talk to me, and sometimes I don't mean to. If I space out and look at you funny, it's not because I'm trying to look at you funny. You don't have anything on your face. It's not like you have a booger up your nose or anything like that. It's just I'm thinking about the sermon, okay? And so uh, for all the gaffes that I do as the pastor of this church, Prior to the sermon and during the sermon, please forgive me and give me grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, okay? All right, so we're in a series right now in the book of Mark, and we're looking at Christ's power over all things and all needs. And so last week, uh, if you're a guest today, last week we were in the first part of Mark chapter 5. We're picking back up in that story, and it's really a larger, and dare I say carry pericope, a larger text, uh, a narrative. I use that word in our, our application group, like what does that mean? It's like a larger part of scripture, like a section of scripture that's really de- de- dealing with Christ's power over a number of different things. And you're going to see that as we wrap up today, but it's all one larger text, but there's two beautiful miracles that we're going to look at this morning. Uh, it's kind of like a sandwich text. How many of you like sandwiches? Can I get a huh right? I like sandwiches, like a good sandwich, you know, I, I, you know, I'm at the point in my time and my, my health, I need to be eating some more wheat bread, but I like some white bread or some sourdough. I'm going to make you real hungry now. I like sandwiches. Well, the Bible gives us sandwiches. I don't know if you know that. Sometimes there's these stories that are teachings of Jesus, and then they're broken by another miracle or teaching, and then brought back to that original teaching. It's a sandwich text, and that's what we're going to look at today in our text this morning, okay? I'm going to give you seven statements. I'm going to encourage you to write those down as fast as you can, and I will preach as fast as and slow as I possibly can as well. The first of those statements, though, kind of sets us up for the entire narrative as we get into Mark chapter 5 in our text. The first statement is this. The object of our faith, where we place our faith, isn't faith or religion, but can only be Jesus Christ. The object, this is really important, like what is faith? Well, is, is faith by itself enough, or is the object of our faith 
important. I would say the object of our faith is more important than the word faith itself, right? Because we place our faith in a lot of things that really cannot hold up under this life, right? And you see in our text this morning as we get there in just a moment, uh, that the people in these, in these miracles place, place their faith somewhere else and they recognize the faultiness of that object of their faith. And then they place their faith on Jesus. And my, oh my, the outcome was different as a result of that. I found this great, great quote uh, earlier this week by Danny Aiken, and it really is dealing with the scrutiny that Jesus dealt with later on in the passage, but there's a statement I want to I want to read to you as well. Hardcore realists who breathe out the air of skepticism will always be with us, right? They will mock our faith in a crucified Jew and ridicule our trust in a God we cannot see. They will laugh at you, at your love for the Savior who has cleansed you of sin's defilement and given you spiritual life by his atoning work on the cross. And listen carefully. Nevertheless, believe. Have faith. Not faith in faith, which is spiritual nonsense. But faith in the omnipotent, sovereign Lord Jesus, whose authority and power are absolute and know no Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that your faith may not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Where is your faith? If you have a Bible, Mike, Mark 5, 21. Not Mike, Mark 5, 21. There is no book of Mike. Michael Jordan, Mike Tyson, argh, watch your ear. Mike, Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Welcome to my head. It's a really terrifying place to be. Y'all ready? All right. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered him there, around him there, and he was beside the sea. Then came out one of the rulers of the synagogue. The synagogue is where this place of Jewish worship would be. His name is Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet, and he implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. Now, I have a little daughter. For those of you up here that have little daughters and stuff, I hear you, Josh. I hear you, Zach. I hear you, Randy. I, I love my little girl. She ain't no little anymore, I'm telling you. She's grown up, right? And if you mess with her, you mess with me. When she hurts, I hurt, right? And so there's this love that you see from a dad who sees that his daughter is suffering. She's struggling. And even to the point that her illness may be even be a fatal circumstance. And so Jairus comes and that's, notice, this is a, rule, a ruler, a leader of the local synagogue, probably Capernaum. A few weeks ago, we mentioned Capernaum. Capernaum sits on the northeast side or northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. It's the place of many of Jesus' greatest miracles. Jesus taught in that same synagogue. He heals Peter's mother-in-law there. This is a site of many great moments in Jesus' life. He's back there, and one of the leaders of that supposed church or worship place comes to him. Now, it's interesting. Jesus has already been at odds with the religious leaders. But even in that, the man who was a religious man, Jairus, recognizes that his religiousness is not enough. Let me say it again. Here's a religious man who realizes that his religiousness is not enough. His, his, his knowledge of the Old Testament as a Jew wasn't enough. His obedience to all of the law and then the traditions was not enough. They had no power whatsoever to heal his daughter. And so he does what we all must do. He comes humbly and falls before Jesus and asks for Jesus' help. Number two, religion doesn't bring healing. 
but it does diagnose the disease. Jesus is the only cure. Listen, this man had been a religious man for quite some time. Obviously, he's, he's an authority as a Jew in the synagogue. He helps maintain the, quote, church. And yet, that faith in the religion is not enough. It had no power to heal his daughter. It did, however, expose the fact that he had. And he, I love Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 talks about the law. The law is this, this beautifully articulated description of God's commands for us as, as creation. But the law has no power itself to, to, to fix us. In fact, Romans chapter 7 says the law just exposes us as, sin, as sinners, right? It makes us painfully aware that I am not a good rule keeper. How many of you have a lead foot and drive a little too fast? Can I get a witness, right? Now, you Baptist, give me a Baptist elbow if you want to. I don't care, right? Listen, I see suggested speed limit, 65 miles an hour when I'm driving. That means I've got probably eight to nine miles of grace, amen? Grace upon grace upon grace. You know what that says about me? It says I am not a good rule keeper. I'm just not a good rule keeper. Because human nature, we're not good rule keepers. Rules don't ultimately get us healed. Jesus is who brings ultimate healing. Mark chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus said this, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous or the self-righteous, but I came to call sinners. Jesus is the great physician. It's, it's, it's good that Jairus recognizes, hey, my, my religiousness isn't going to fix my daughter. You know who can fix my daughter? I have watched and I have heard. I've heard the rumors of Jesus. I've seen what he's done in town. I've got to go to Jesus. He's the only one who can fix it. i got to tell you this. Jesus is probably the only one that can fix your stuff right now. It's funny. Is we, we, we go everywhere else first. And then we only come to Jesus when we're, when we're desperate. Why wouldn't we just start Jesus? Psalm 41 says, The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. Jeremiah the prophet would say, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. What do these statements say? That we can trust God, who's not just the author of life, but he's also the great physician, to reach down and bring healing in our life. Now, that healing may not look like what we want it to look like sometimes. But he is the author of that healing. Mark chapter 5, verse 24. And he went with him. Jesus went with this religious leader. It's funny, Mark doesn't record an argument first. Like, we got to talk about theology because your guys are, are harassing me about who I am. And there's a lot of conflict here. Let's, let's work that out. No, Jesus just goes and shows compassion. Now, as a great crowd, verse 24, followed him and thronged about him. Now, this is the pattern you'll see from the rest of the gospel. Everywhere Jesus goes, there is a crowd. And there was a woman then. Here's the middle part of the sandwich. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. You need to circle the words 12 years there, okay? It's significant. And who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So while Jesus is on his way, this is important, while Jesus is on his way to go bring healing to Jairus' daughter, Jesus is interrupted. Now, notice this. Jesus always has time for a need. Listen, Jesus really had just a short window of ministry opportunity, roughly three and a half years. But yet he slowed down, and when a need was in front of him, he paused to meet the need. And this woman would come and bank her life. On it. This woman had been sick for 12 years. We don't know all the details. You can imagine 
the thing about her, her condition was she was isolated because of her condition. In, in, in the Old Testament law, in the Levitical law, for a woman to have a, a, a blood disease like this meant that she could not worship in the, in the synagogue. She could not worship in the temple. She could not be among society for she was, in the Jewish understanding, she was unclean. She was an outcast. And so she is ashamed. And so she comes to Jesus just hoping, maybe praying and wishing and hoping and maybe she could be healed. So she comes and she reaches out for Jesus. Now she had tried a lot of other things first. Now granted, she didn't know of Jesus first. But sometimes we try a lot of other things first too. How many of you would say that you are what they call a fixer? I'm a fixer, right? I try to fix. Listen, if you come to me and got a problem, you know what my first inclination is? I'm going to show you how to fix your problem, okay? Sometimes that's an arrogant thought, isn't it? Like I'm going to fix it. If somebody breaks something and bring it to dad in my house, bring it to dad, dad will fix it, right, Lee? It's our job, right? We've got to fix it, right? But there are some things that you cannot fix, amen? That's a hard truth. There are things you cannot fix. And the more that you try to fix or more that you try to go to other people to fix them, the more they actually become broken. In this case, there was no other options. Finally, she went to Jesus. Number three. We miss a lot of life in our attempts to fix our own problems. I'll say it again. We miss a lot of life in our attempts to fix our own problems before seeking the author of life about our problems. Right? It should be this. As a Christian, if you're a Christian in this room, your first appeal should be to Jesus. Why is it often our last appeal? After we've messed it up more, after we've looked at other things, we've consulted with you know, what, what person over here says or what your friend says or, or, or what Jerry Springer shows or whatever talk show you watch on TV is. And you just, you're consulting to cultural thought. And then when it's all messed up, then you cry out to God. Am I wrong? How much life do we miss when we do life that way? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, he said, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first. Not last, not last resort, not second, third, tenth, twelfth, fifteenth, whatever. Seek first the kingdom of God. Look to God first. Look to Jesus first, the author and perfecter of your faith. Don't look at what the world has to say. Look at what God has to say. Verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and she came up behind him in the crowd. And I, I get this, this my mind's a little weird, y'all know that by now. I get this idea that she kind of snuck up through and she maybe even crawled on the ground. Knowing she's isolated, she's not supposed to even be there among the crowd. She wants to get in as unnoticed as possible. So she, she sneaks up and she attempts to touch just his garment. Verse 28, for she said, if I touch even the garments, I'll be made well. There's, there's faith to be seen there. You see that? If I could just get close enough Jesus can change my life if I can just get close enough verse 29 immediately immediately the flow of blood dried up as she touched Jesus garment and she felt in her the body that she was healed of her disease one author said this he said her theology may be weak it's almost superstitious if I could just touch touch his hand Theology may be weak, but her faith was strong. This, this, this 
proves this. Your theology may not always have to be deep or right, but your faith better be in a God who saves you, right? Theology we can work out by fear and trembling. But when it comes down to the author of your salvation, make sure you have repented of your sin and place your faith in Jesus, right? The rest of that can be fixed as we go. What she showed is a sense of brokenness. This word brokenness is often misused today, and, and sometimes it's even a cover-up for sin. We don't want to call it sin. I'm just broken. But this woman literally was broken. Broken because of her health, broken because of her social uh, situation. She couldn't be anywhere. She had no, uh, no place to go and worship. She was a broken woman. But let me tell you something carefully. Now listen clearly. Brokenness is a gift sometimes. Number four, brokenness is only a curse if you fail to seek Jesus. This woman was broken. And she came to the only one who could repair her. Let me tell you something. The only person who can fix your marriage is Jesus. That sounds so preachy. The only person who can fix my marriage is Jesus. Yeah. It's just the gospel. The only, only person who can fix your kids, and Lord knows we need to fix our kids, right? <laughs> just kidding. Well, maybe, maybe not. It's Jesus. The only person who can help you be a better steward of all that God's put in your hands, Jesus. The only person to help you be a better servant of the Lord is Jesus. The only person that can help you fill in the blank is Jesus. And until you, until you devote yourself to Jesus, you're never going to live fully up to what God has desired in all of those areas of life. Psalm 51, David, in this beautiful, repentant psalm, he said this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. One author said this way, brokenness happens in a soul so that the power of God can happen in a soul. It's good when you're broken. Broken is this, when you get to the very bottom of the pit and there's nowhere else to go but up. Sometimes we hold on trying to fix it all the way down the pit, right? And we're just grabbing on for dear life. But once we hit rock bottom, the only place to look for any source of hope is Jesus, is it not? That's why brokenness is a beautiful thing. Here's a woman who's broken. I made this thought, you know what? Even an atheist will cry out to God when the situation is the gravest. Think about that. When things are real bad, when people are really broken, even those who don't even acknowledge that God is will cry out to God. Brokenness is a beautiful thing. Verse 30 of Mark 5. Hang in there with me. And Jesus, then perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? Now, this is ludicrous to me, okay? He's in a crowd of people who are around Jesus, following Jesus, trying to get a hold of Jesus. Jesus just healed this, healed that. I want you to be around Jesus, Jesus, this. Jesus is surrounded, surrounded by the paparazzi. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus. And Jesus says, somebody touched me. And all the disciples are like, uh, a lot of people touch you. Now, listen, I'm a preacher. I don't really like big crowds, okay? Can I get a, can I get a, uh-huh, right? I, I like when people come to church. I'm thankful that you're here. But there's something about, like, I get this claustrophobic feeling when I'm in the middle of a massive crowd. Y'all with me, right? And I just, it just kind of bothers me, right? And I'm not sure if Jesus was claustrophobic. Or, but th this, this statement, like, who touched me? Almost kind of seems like may, may, maybe Jesus doesn't like, like the, the, all the attention. Who touched me? And this disciple said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you. And yet you say, who touched me? Like, what are you talking about? Everybody touching you, Jesus. 
And he looked around to see who had done it. Now, there's this beautiful thing here. Jesus did not let this go because there's a miracle that did not need to let go. Say again. Jesus did not let this go because there's a miracle that did not need to let go. Number five, God's love goes beyond our cultural norms. We witness here Jesus' compassion to all who call upon him. Now, you, the, the, the contrast could be greater. There is a Jewish leader, Jairus, who comes to Jesus. He is the upper echelon of society. He's educated. He, he is the guy that walks around and everybody wants to be around Jairus. And on the other side of the spectrum is a woman who is at the very bottom of society. She's unclean to even be in society. She could not even be in the synagogue of worship. There, the, the contrast could not be any greater. But what did Jesus do? He stopped and he sought her out. Hey, there's no partiality when it comes to God. All are sinners saved by grace. But God demonstrates his love for us. That, and this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? For God so loved the what? I was weak. For God so loved the... Thank you. It goes faster when you work with me, right? Not just some people, not just the elites, not just the intelligent, not just the theologically rich. God loves the world. I love what Romans 10, verse 13 says. Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's actually a reference from Joel chapter 2. I love Matthew chapter 9. It gives us this picture of Jesus that he saw the crowds and he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So he stops. Go on, verse 33 with me. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, what had happened was, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him. And this is a woman who's been ostracized already. She's been embarrassed already. She doesn't want to be embarrassed anymore. But he falls down, she falls down her feet in front of him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, woman, leave me alone. No. Thank you, Randy. No. He didn't say, I can't help you. No. He says, daughter. Remember the first miracle? Whose, whose child was sick? What child was it? It was the daughter. Was it not? This is a daughter who was well loved and appreciated and valued. Here's a woman who's not appreciated and valued and loved. And now Jesus calls her daughter. In many ways, it's like Jesus is saying, hey, I need you to be restored back to the community. From the shadows back into light. Daughter, your faith has made you well. She's already healed. Now, what are we talking about? No, this is a third miracle. Woo, this is a sandwich right here. It's got some meatballs and some provolone on it, right? It's got some veggies on it. Like, we're not just talking about one thing. It's a sandwich. Well, this Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I believe this moment that not just was her physical impalement healed, but she was spiritually healed as well. She was saved because of her faith. Because of her faith in Christ Jesus. Number six. Jesus calls us out of the shadows into his light and to his community. I, I love this truth. Jesus calls us out of the shadows into his life and into his community. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said this, Whoever cannot stand being in community should be aware of being alone. You are called into the community of faith. The call was not meant for you alone. 
When we're on islands, we are picked off easily. We're isolated and deceived by the enemy. But when we gather together as a community of faith, something special happens. We find love. We find appreciation. We find nurture. We find accountability. We find all of those things that help us spur us on as a disciple of Jesus Christ. We need community. This woman could not stay in isolation any longer. So Jesus, in this moment, calls her out, not just out of the, out of the, of the, the depths of her disease, but out of the depths of her isolation and brings her back into community. Jason Mayer said this way, the shackles of shame need to be broken. Called her back in the community. He also said that faith brings more than the gift of healing. It brings the gift of identity. This woman is whole again. Verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. This is the worst news you could ever hear as a parent. Why trouble the teacher any further? Can you imagine the father in this moment? Like, this is urgent. This woman for 12 years, like, it's serious and she needs healing. But Jesus, you could have come back to her. This is my daughter. Can you imagine, I don't, we don't know all this, but can you imagine, like, the urge, like, hey, come on, Jesus, just, we got to get home. My daughter needs you. And Jesus stops. And now the worst has happened. One of the other gospels actually points out that the faith that this man has is actually even unto death. Because he says in another gospel, even if she should die, I believe you can raise her up. In the initial conversation. This man's faith is great. So even as he gets the news, like, like, what? My daughter is dead. It's not hopeless. I love what Mark Batterson said. He said, never put a period where God has placed a comma. Don't do it. God's not done yet. Verse 36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear. Only what? Believe. Number seven. Number last. Already good. When we are most desperate, we are most inclined to see the power of God. Brokenness and desperation aren't necessarily a bad thing, because we will recognize our brokenness and desperation when all seems lost. You know what we find? In Christ, we are not. When all seems lost when we are in Christ we are not it's important Ephesians 3:20 Paul says but now to him is able to do far more abundantly beyond what we could even see or ask or think according to the power at work within us this is Christ power over every need you see it Christ's power is ready available to his, by his spirit to those who walk by faith in him. It's there. Does that mean that, that God's going to empower us to do whatever we want to do? No, but as we live for the glory of God, his power is with us, in us. And we miss that. Second Peter chapter 1, Peter says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His power. Christ has no power issues. I don't know how you feel about like uh, electric cars. It's not a debate about the, the, the you know, whatever, electric cars and gas cars and stuff like this. But there's a range on these, these gas cars. Y'all know that, right? And then you're out of gas, you're out of power. Thank God, God never gets out of power. 
His power battery doesn't start waxing and waning down here when things are getting tough. In fact, God's just getting started, I believe. And by doing so, he proves who he is and proves our need for him. Christ's power is greater than we recognize. And they get to this house, verse 37 of Mark chapter 5. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of Jesus. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion. It's interesting, in, like, in the New Testament um, scriptures, we, we see this time period, professional mourners that would gather around those who have gone and lost and death, and they would mourn professionally and would make a big circus about it. And that's what we find. People weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making such a commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. There's a rhyme there. I almost like threw it down as a beat, you know, but I thought some of y'all might be like, that's weird. And these people laughed at him. Verse 40. But he put them all outside and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him. So Peter, James, and John, the child's mother and father, and they went in where the child was. So he, he listen. All those who laugh out of unbelief, he expelled from the room and just brought those people who had faith in the room. Listen carefully. John 11, remember what Jesus says to Martha? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You know, three times Jesus raises somebody from the grave. Three times, not including himself. That was the power of the Holy Spirit and God, the Father. Three times. This is one. There's a son, the widow of Nain, who they were having a funeral procession. And Jesus said, hey, yo, boy, get up. He got up. And then Lazarus. Everybody knows about Lazarus, but they forget about the other two. This is a pattern, you see. Why? Because Jesus has power over life and death. Verse 41. Taking her by the hand, he said to her. I had to listen to this on like my Bible reading app because I didn't want to mispronounce this. Talitha Kumi, which means little girl. I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. For she was 12 years. Whoa, 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 whoa. I've seen 12 before. 12-year-old girl who had been alive. And the entire time she'd been alive, the other girl had suffered. The other lady had suffered in her disease. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. These Bibles, sometimes the Bible says things to them like, duh. What else would you do? Of course you're going to be overcome by amazement. Verse 43, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them then give her something to eat. This is just shows Jesus' compassion. Now, I've healed her, raised her from the grave. Make sure she gets some food, right? Help her get her strength back up. Because death, as I'm going to experience, is kind of a big deal, right? I want, I want to point out in, in this pericope, carry shows Jesus' power over four different areas, and you can't miss this. Number one, in Mark chapter 4, we didn't we need preach this text. There'll be a, later on, there's going to be a, a devotional out on this text. Jesus' power over disaster. And then last week, we talked about Jesus' power over demons. And also, we see Jesus' power over disease. Is it even possible? Now we see Jesus' power over death itself. Is there anything too hard for Jesus? And the answer emphatically, church, hear me out. This is the invitation. There's nothing too hard for Jesus. There is nothing so broken, so bad, so messed up in your life that Jesus cannot fix it. 
Nothing. Psalm 147, verse 5, Great is our Lord, abundant in power, abundant in power. His understanding is beyond all measure. I'm going to quit right there. By the way, I have more notes. Application group wins not. If you want more notes, I'll give you some more. Just time, we're done, okay? Don't miss this. In our life, there is a tendency to go elsewhere to fix our problems. And what happens is we just delay our problems by going elsewhere. Let's go directly to Jesus to fix our problems. Have the faith of Jairus to go and humble himself before Jesus, although it was not socially acceptable. (laughs) The religious leaders of Jesus were not friends. And say, help me. My daughter needs you. Had the faith of this widow who had been ostracized and broken, and like she, she was in the worst scenario. And just come and just be as close to Jesus as you can. And here's, here's my promise to you. God will not fix all your mess, but he will fix you in all your mess. Amen? God will not fix all your mess, but he will fix you in all your mess. But your responsibility is come to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the example of this great miracle. Miracles. For today, if there's anyone here that doesn't have a relationship with God through Jesus, Lord, draw their heart. Lord, lead them to repentance, knowing that they are sinners that need forgiveness. And let them place their faith, their full way of their trust in Jesus for their salvation. May they be saved to the uttermost, the promise of heaven, promise of, of all of glory, but hope and peace in today. Let us all draw near to Jesus today. For those who are in the room who have a relationship with Jesus, who have been saved, Lord, help us to draw near to Jesus in repentance. Help us to humble ourselves before the Lord. Help us to cry out for forgiveness. Lord, lead us into community as a result, as, as you've done with this woman. Lead us into community, Lord, because we realize the Christian life is not good lived by ourselves. It's better fellowship. Build your kingdom, build your church, do what only you can do. Lord, today... Fix that inside of us that we cannot fix. Expose that stuff inside of us that we don't really want exposed. Lord, help us to follow you. We'll look to you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we have a time of communion?